When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are two rules to remember if you want to have a good time. Rules! No rules! Rule number one. Keep your friends close, but your enemies close. Rule number two. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. Ciao, Bella. This week on Double Dragon, Steve and I cover episode two, The Rogue Prince. Then after that, medieval historian Ian McGinnis at the University of Highlands answers a listener question about paramours and affairs in the ancient world. If you have a question for Double Dragon, you can send that to book at baldmove.com. Okay, without further ado, here is your friend and mine, stand-up comic Steve Osborne. Steve, this king, he just loves his train set. <laughs> Just, yeah. just really into this train set. <laughs> Thank God for model Westeros. <laughs> Do you think when they invent trains, he's going to like it more or less? Oh well, that's the question, right? We're we're uh, <laughs> did trains replace the dragons? Yeah, well, the dragons go into decline. They add trains. Yeah. It seems to me like if you add trains to that train set, it would actually improve it. Well, right now it's. I mean, it doesn't do anything, right? I mean, it's not like it's a Rube Goldberg and device. he's where... so into it. He's just so excited about it. The... I think this is like that. That might be one of the more underrated parts of like you're trying to figure out is 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 he is he inept? Is he you know is is he okay? Like there's just moment like like I think I mean I it's I okay to have a hobby. I appreciate Otto sending his his daughter in to check on him, but like I think he needs to have like round the clock people checking on him. <laughs> He's got a teenager coming in to watch him play with the train set without any trains. <laughs> oh no, I dropped my dragon. <laughs> Just throws himself on the couch. <laughs> All right, Steve. I have identified five storylines. I just thought we'd, we'd do them all. Just just cover all of the storylines. What do you think? <laughs> what you're saying what we should do is, in this uh, review of the television show, uh-huh. review the television show in its entirety. It's a new New thing for us, but I think we should try it at least once. All right. Well, the good news is I, I was awake through the whole episode, oh! so I feel like I have a really good shot at contributing nice work. to this. And even <laughs> an even even higher level than last time. Way to go, Granddad. <laughs> However, I did just watch it like an hour ago. <laughs> uh, oh, you didn't watch it last night? No, I was uh, I was running punchline. Ah, of course. You got that that Sunday conflict. Well, but the punchline thing is kind of like my 
my Game of Thrones. Mm, right. Because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm the one who decides who goes up and who doesn't. Well, you're and, King uh, Viserys. It's sort of like you're a little bit passive. Sometimes you're a little too passive, right? Did you go mm-hmm. up yourself? Did you put yourself up? I did not put myself See, up. See, this is the problem. You, you're you're sitting in the corner with your broken dragon figurine. <laughs> you're, you're not you're not seizing the power when it's there to be seized. But here's the thing: is no matter what, I walk around that room and it's just like everybody bends the knee like they're doing the opposite wave. That's what they do, and yet they're getting the stage time. See, this is what I'm talking about. See, that's the thing: is I give them the crumbs. Mm-hmm. This is how you view it. Everyone's talking behind your back saying, this guy oh, thinks oh, he's in that. charge. He's getting no stage oh, time. Everybody wants me out of the way. But at the same time, it's like someone's got to sit there. <laughs> All right. So. Heavy is the head that wears the blonde wig. <laughs> All right, I've got five storylines here. The first one is the king's marriage. So King Viserys is getting pressure from all sides to remarry. His relationship with Alicent seems to have come to a more intimate, albeit platonic, stage. Viserys seems to consider marrying a 12-year-old Lena, 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 Lana? (laughs) Lena Valerian. Everyone who speaks up seems to think that this is the best course of action. The king decides against it and announces his marriage to Alicent. All except Otto are unhappy by the choice. Steve, are you getting enough maggots in your life? I'm glad you brought that up. I, so, when's the last time you came into contact with maggots? I feel like I'm I'm t- like I ate a piece of moldy salami the other day. Oh, I I basically gagged for the next 14 hours. I yeah. couldn't get the taste out of my mouth. <laughs> I don't know the last time I touched a maggot. I, I I don't know the last time I touched a maggot. I know there were maggots underneath my house because um, our uh, like one of our pipes, the, the garbage disposal pipe specifically, had like corroded, and so it was just mm, dumping pipe maggots. In, yep. <laughs> yeah. So it was just dumping stuff under the house, and uh, and and then that seemed to attract maggots. Funny how how that they, works. They're not. Uh, they really aren't that menacing. I mean, you look at them, you just think that. I mean, they shouldn't scare or gross out anyone, but they just... Yeah, they're not jumping maggots, right? I mean, it'd be something if... They, oh, yeah, those are the screaming maggots. I mean, they're just... They're just wriggling, Why? Right? Why I mean, are they so gross? Job. Why are they so gross? Ah, uh, I mean, I don't get grossed out by a worm. If I see a worm, it's fine. It's like, yeah, it's just a worm. But, I mean, is a maggot all that different than a worm? It's funny, because a maggot's going to turn into a fly, right? Yes. And then the fly is going to bug you, like bother you. Sure. Right? Like, I mean, I, I'm a little grossed out. Yeah, it's a little gross. Flies are a little gross. I mean, it's a little gross when you see them on the potato salad, because that just seems to be where I always seem to find them. And, uh, and so I don't I don't like it. I don't like the way that they, you know, like they, they rub their hands when they look at you. Like, it's that's pretty menacing. <laughs> and uh, Like they're hatching a plan. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and, and in such a way that is like they want you to know they are. I mean, that's like the insect equivalent of, like, twirling their own mustache. <laughs> right. Right. Of course. But, the mag- and the thing is, a maggot is, like, the least menacing fly, right? It's not, I mean, they just, they don't even seem, they almost look more like an optical illusion, right? Like, they just sort of wriggle mm-hmm. amongst themselves. 
Uh, if anything, if I was a maggot, I'd be more grossed out by maggots because I know I'm going to be amongst more maggots and they're going to be all over me. Yeah, famously, this is probably the scariest scene from The Lost Boys, right? Oh, yeah. It wasn't the vampires. It was the maggots. Right. Well, he did. He was eating them. That was a part of it, right? I mean, yeah, but that was that part. the illusion or not? I don't know. See, I never uh, was clear on that point. Funny thing, yeah, I mean, I don't, even though we're discussing it now, I don't think I'm going to convince myself that maggots are fine. Yeah, they're gross. I don't know why they're so gross. They're just totally gross. Yeah, they're they're like amongst the worst. <laughs> they're amongst the worst. And <laughs> <laughs> we are ten minutes into this podcast. We've covered nothing. Train sets and maggots. You said you wanted to cover all the storylines, and we're out of time, kids. Uh, tune in next week. <laughs> I just want to cover the most irrelevant elements of every storyline. But the thing is, is there? But yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're irrelevant, but they're not. I mean, they were very yeah, captivated, right? I mean, obviously, we're trying to. The maggot scene brings you to a certain time. Like, what is it about this guy that he every single time he gets cut, it just he's got to cut off his body part or something? Like, I know the whole time, just like so. This is I've got like a, a wonderful little like, nickname for him here is uh, King Scabby Patty. <laughs> It's just, it's just, just, just so simple. Where it's just like, it's like everyone gets together. It's like, all right, let's dip his finger in maggots. Man, is this the most high, high, most high maintenance? Just stick him in the room with the train set, man. Just stick but him in there. But that's where he's cutting himself. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about the king's marriage. Six months, six months out from from this initial. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess C-section. That's the other thing. This episode had zero C-sections. Yeah, finally, <laughs> that's right. So, so six months out, but you got to figure this is in like what Westeros uh, years, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know what the lifespan is of a person. So, six months is probably like closer to like a year and a half. Yeah, I would think, given 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 the fact that even the king has to dip his hand in maggots mm-hmm. just to keep a finger. This is a wonderful. Would you rather? <laughs> Would you rather lose a finger or have to soak in palm olive <laughs> made of maggots? So he's been staring at his empty train set for almost a year and a half by Westerosi standards, right? <laughs> According to my conversion scale. And he's getting pressured to remarry, which, you know, it's he's the king. Uh, you know, he, he's got an heir, but clearly people aren't happy with the heir he chose, right? And so the suggestion is is that he is going to marry a 12-year-old. 12-year-old who looks like an 8-year-old. So, so again, <laughs> playing a different game of would you rather. <laughs> they had to find a wife young enough to, to enjoy a train set without trains. I love the idea that she's just marrying him for the dollhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. It takes a lot to gross me out. I mean, I it takes a, especially with game. Funny when, when when maggots is like maybe third. <laughs> it's like Game of Thrones has you know torture and incest and all this stuff, but I tell you what, the him walking through the garden, mm-hmm. just talking with that little girl, mm-hmm. and everyone's watching. Mm. It would be a great honor to join our houses, as they were in old Valeria. 
I would give you many children of pure Valerian blood, so that we might strengthen the royal line and the realm. Is that what your father told you to say? What did your mother tell you? That I wouldn't have to bed you until I turned fourteen. That was one of the grossest things I saw in super cringy. Super oh, cringy. horrible! And you know, it's not even like it's you know that he's uncomfortable with it. It's like everyone feels like this is really kind of gross, but it's the king, and so everyone's kind of so on that board was and that it. was an interesting way to take this right because we we've already you know even leading up to this in other podcasts we talked about how like hey from what we know of you know the Targaryen history we're gonna have to you know. Buckle up, because <laughs> there's certain things that are just sort of like that's just their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting how the the choice was made for from the writers to to still draw some level of squeamishness. Oh, absolutely! Um, across the board, like within uh, this the the universe, right? So it wasn't. Oh just yeah, like, I was thinking, find a sister to marry, find a long lost sister. This is mm-hmm. this is that would be better than this. Right, so I did appreciate that. Uh, I mean, they could have gone the other way. I mean, they could have just been like, "Okay, this is just the way it goes," and been very matter of fact about it. I mean, I think that tells a different story. Mm-hmm. And I think, just to be perfectly honest, I think that's a story that many people would recoil from. I think, from a presentation standpoint, you have to you have to have some sort of a moral compass with regards to this approach. Um, otherwise, oh, and it's, it's, like, it's yeah, you can't have a cavalier attitude towards this across the board. I think that seemingly the whole scene was very innocent it's like it's it's the king it's in Mm. public they're walking through Mm. the garden he's clearly by the end of the walk he's clearly decided not to marry the girl right nothing quite as innocent as a 12 year old telling an older king that uh, they don't have to bed for another two years Mm -hmm. yeah and then but even so it's like everything you know nothing's consummated there's no but the whole thing just feels really wrong well, that whole scene was essentially maggots yeah, sure. by them by itself. If you just really break it down, yeah, it's like, look, sure. like you said, just walk in. They're just they're just wriggling. But we know what they're gonna, what, what that would become and what that function is. And so it's it's really I think that, that the, is, the thing that made it the grossest is that everyone and I mean, everyone is telling the king that this is the best course of action. Right. And and it's it's amazing like how some was like all the different motivations for it right um, you know some folks are just like they're like hey we broke it down you know we <laughs> we brought in the AI mm-hmm. and we just we went through every possible scenario and really this is this is the best possible uh, course of action right now even so much so that we're all fine with him marrying a teenager afterwards. Right. You know, it's like, oh gosh, at least she's a teenager. What a relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I don't know that I was like Phew. uh <laughs> but, No, but at least it didn't it wasn't like Yeah. I at mean, least that he didn't girl do just looked like she's eight years old, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah, and so yeah, sure so sure it is there's a there's a bit of relief by comparison, right? Again, playing the would you rather, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and there's but this whole thing is rife. I mean, I I think that we you know we're talking about some of our own views on it, but I think it's worth really digging in and how uh, 
to me, this was such a a, a, a compelling uh, thread um, because of all the different players and how everybody's playing this king. Everybody. Well, I was going to say that it's one of these things where as a king, there's a right course of action. And as a human, it's the exact wrong course of action. Sure. Uh, I think it's it's actually kind of a hard thing to do to portray adversaries who are kind of smart on both sides and and authentic. Like they've come by their decisions honestly on both sides, mm-hmm. and you really see that like the king, the king is about to make a horrible political choice, and it's absolutely the choice I would have made. Sure, because the only thing I share in common with this guy is my humanity. And everything right, about okay. sort of me being human thinks that's wrong, you know. But it's interesting too, like the um so you have you have Otto Hightower who's, you know, the hand of the king, so it's supposed to have this best interest in mind. But this is not in not in not in terms of advising the king, right? Oh, this is a bad political move to put his daughter in the room, for sure. Right. And he, but this is all part of it. Like this was this was a plan. Uh-huh. Right. So this 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 really shows I mean we I think we knew in episode 1 that Otto Hightower was was very clever. And uh almost and a little some, uh Tywin Lannister vibe coming off this guy. I would yeah, I even just even looks and everything sort of it's kind of there. Um so so as he puts this, as he sets this in motion, um, a real hand of the king whose responsibility is not only to, to support him as, as a person, but ultimately you're supposed to be supporting him as, uh, you know, as, as the king, as, as mm-hmm. in this role to, to keep his position and his line intact. And this is, this would be the opposite. He would advise against it. The way he played the king in terms of like when he was asking his opinion, like, oh, yeah, no, this mm-hmm. this really does make a lot of sense. So, but then he then he plays his own hand like, but, you know, I know for me, the idea of after my wife passed, marrying out of compulsion or obligation just didn't set like he's he he knows. Yeah, he this. says the exact he doesn't say like you shouldn't marry her. Mm hmm. But he says just enough to kind of plant the idea in the, the king's mind that, like... Well, because he knows he knows enough about the king and his motivations. Right. And so he knows which but- buttons to push, with, which is fascinating, too, because the king does not have... The king thinks he has agency, but he clearly has not. Well, uh, that reminded me of that line from Daemon Targaryen in a previous episode. He's like, I, I would protect you if I was hand of the king. Right. And he's like, protect me from what? And he says, I would protect you from yourself. And right. I was thinking, that's what Otto Hightower refuses to do. He's just going to allow the king to like make these human choices that Daemon Targaryen would absolutely advise against. I, I guess that's how I'm reading that. But 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 beyond that, it's not that it's not that Otto Hightower is either too close to the king, so he's allowing for it or he's uh yielding to the king's uh more internal instincts it's it's the auto hightower has an agenda here and it's it's working perfect so he's not he'll protect him in so much as it helps auto hightower as well oh sure no he's uh, he's absolutely which i think is a great reveal in this episode because i think we get now we get you know it's so easy to say well daemon targaryen is is the baddie and that's what game of thrones does so well anyway is like you know who do you trust and who's 
who's bad? Are they all bad? Or is it all uh, bad guys will act nobly and, and good guys will make mistakes and do horrible things. Right. And who's, who's, who's more sinister. The one that sits on the throne blatantly and challenges the King at every turn out in the open or the one that sits at his side and says that he has his best interest in mind. Well, that's the other thing. I feel like Damon's not a great political mind. I think we, we saw that in this episode. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't think that he. I don't think the solution is for him to be hand of the king. But clearly, Otto Hightower is putting his own political advancement above the king in the realm. Right. So he's the exact wrong hand of the king. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But he's in the best position possible, right? To to be able to enact a, a plan. Um, Again, shades then, of Tywin, right? Right. And then you've got you know. And then meanwhile, you have. Uh, the, the Corliss. Ah, hey, good. It's all right. Story, storyline number two. Let me just, we'll just jump right in here. This is the Sea Snake storyline. Corliss, Lord Corliss Valerian is pissed off that more isn't being done about Kragas Dahar. Mm-hmm. Seems that the crab feeder has attacked a Valerian ship. Later, the Sea Snake apologizes and proposes a marriage between the king and his 12 year old daughter. Corliss is offended when the king refuses and seeks an alliance with Damon. According to Lord Corliss, Damon can prove his worth by taking down the crab feeder. All right, so what you were going to say. Man, again, talk about the way that they all know how to they all know how to appeal to and play uh Viserys because, you know, he, Corliss comes in hot, he wants he wants action, he wants the, the king to make a decision to to send a message and all this stuff and then later when he goes to make his proposal i mean deferential apologetic and the king doesn't you know the it, it, previous kings that we've seen in these universes would have just been like too little too late you're off the council kind of thing nobody comes in here and shows me like it could have been a variety of, but he's just so like he appeals to his mercy right um, yeah, his his cousin says in another part of the episode, she says, and your father is no fool, right? Right. And I think that's kind of true. I don't think he is a fool. I actually think that he's got a kind of wisdom that would make him really valuable as some other office in the kingdom. But I think that he absolutely suffers fools. Well, that's the thing. If he, there, There's a lot about him that you would say, that's the kind of king you might want. But right. you do need to have a, a good council that has not just the king's best interest in mind, but the realm's best interest. And that's how they operate, right? Mm-hmm. Where the king would be the one to say, okay, but what about, like, he could bring up, like, a moral discussion or whatever. But, like, when he comes down to it, I'm like, he's constantly asking, like, again, you, you want to seek counsel. But then there comes a point where it's like, at some point, the king does need, the buck stops with you. And so we see that when he when he chooses Alicent. But it's still, you know, and the irony of that whole thing is like, ah, he did something to show that he had agency and he kind of bucked all mm-hmm. the advice. It's like, but he didn't, right? I mean, ultimately, he, he still did. He, he kind of lured into Hightower's. Yeah, he got, yeah, he got, was, he thought he got it was got. his own choice, right? It was really right. was what Otto wanted. I was thinking about contrasting this episode with the choice he makes last episode. Mm. I think that the maesters and everyone in the kingdom would say, Oh no! You absolutely have to choose the heir. You you you've got a chance for a male heir here, 
uh, sorry about your wife, but she's got to go. You've got to right. you've got to make the choice for the baby. I think he does make that choice in support of the kingdom. That at least that's what he thinks he's doing. Right. And in this episode, it's like I tried it. I tried doing that. I'm going to choose what I think is right based on sort of my own sense of morality here. I'm going to choose the woman who I have some kind of relationship with who isn't seven years old, you know? If, yeah. And, like, given the idea that, like, look, he he says, you know, I loved your mother. And you have another – you see the juxtaposition when, when Damon talks about his wife and why he wants to take a second wife and whether or not you trust Damon at this point. Uh-huh. But I, I think that there is some truth to what he was saying. It's like, I didn't choose her. I didn't choose my wife. Right. And and so there is so so it, it's a nice way that the uh, the writers can add like this is I think what we talked about before about like trusting your audience and some of the issues that we may have had with the first episode in terms of like ah see connected to this connected to that like it may be a little bit too on the nose whereas this there's these nice little subtle things that that remind you that like there's a difference if he to say that he loved his wife. Uh, after the fact, especially, I mean, granted, he's talking to his daughter, but I believe him, you know, there was a uniqueness to that relationship. And if he's going to marry again, and he said, look, it's only been six months. If he was truly mission minded and understood mm-hmm. lineage and preserving uh, the name, uh, he would have kind of sucked it up a little bit and be like, all right, it's time to get married. Look, this is duty. But for him, marriage wasn't just duty. Whereas, and we see that, like I said, the juxtaposition with Damon's reference, like I didn't choose my wife, shows that that's that's the culture. Mm-hmm. So he's already bucking the culture. So it does make sense that he would choose Allison again. You know, hey, maybe give it another six months and see what happens. Get out there, you know, get on whatever <laughs> app Westeros has for this type of thing. Um, right. Well, I should like, say, oh, I just keep on connecting with Dornish women, and that's just not my type. <laughs> Uh, I I should say, I mean it's it's an obvious point, but it should be made. We saw a lot of marriages in the first series. No marriage that was ever sort of for love ever ends well, right? True, true. Right. So you've got Rob, Rob. You know he decides to marry for love, and the the red wedding happens. Mm-hmm. You know, Tyrion decides to marry the crofter's daughter and, you know, the, it, no, no marriage based on love. And then, of course, John and Danny at the end, you know, it's it's just in this world, in Martin's world, if you don't use marriage for a political purpose, you're foolish. Something mm-hmm. horrible is going to happen. And I think that that's what's going. I, I think that that's what this story is trying to tell. Well, just by virtue of what it's what it what it's going to set in motion, right? Like, I mean, as cringy as it was in the world that's been laid out in front of us, um, the idea that uh, that you could unify the houses um, to get, and again, that assumes that that's the end of that story. But clearly, when once Corliss's reaction shows that, like, kind of called the bluff. In some ways, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Corliss was not looking for the greater good. He's looking for for another another way to to, to keep the door open for. for well, he's for an interesting over. character for me because he has all of the pride of an old house, right? 
Mm-hmm. And if it isn't, if it was just for that one little thing, that one little detail of dragons, right? If it wasn't for that <laughs> one little detail of dragons, he, you know, the world would be his oyster, right? So, right. It's kind of interesting to see him try to outmaneuver all of these dragon riders who, I mean, I guess, you know, you, you get Daemon Targaryen with with no dragon. I guess he's still a pretty good swordsman or whatever, but it's like he's nowhere yeah, near you the force. You don't, like I said, we don't bring a sword to a dragon fight. That's right. So this this, this bit at the end, I, I wanted to ask about this bit at the end. I think that the story they're trying to tell is Damon's not the best political mind, but if you give him Corliss on his team, then all of a sudden he has this new superpower. Because Corliss is not just a man of action. He's also got a political mind as well. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that kind of tempers some of those impulses that Damon otherwise has. Right, and and the advantage of having Damon, obviously, is you've got... uh... You have a bit of an army. Well, you got a big old dragon now. Like that's the and one thing that Corlys could never get. And and you do have at least the appearance of an, an heir. There's an heir of an heir <laughs> to him, right? <laughs> um, so that helps. That it you know again that's a politically uh, it's an optics it's an optics thing from a political perspective that is positive that that is helpful. Corlys, like you said, with a plan with. Because I mean, he was—he had a plan, and um, and Viserys sort of usurped it, whether or not it was because he was clever or just because he was impetuous or who knows, right? I mean, it's trying to figure out what, because I think Viserys is really worth examining because, I, and, and this is a character that I didn't know that I was going to be as interested in as I, I mean, again, we're only two episodes in, but right, the nuance of like, is he? Is he too good for his own good? Is he, is he, you know, what is it, right? I mean, because kings oftentimes, you know, like, yeah, they have their councils, but they also have their egos. And his ego may be baked into his humility. And that might be an even more problematic issue. It's interesting. Do you have a, a sense or a visceral reaction to the crab feeder guy? Um, <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh there's a part of me that's like this feels like a street fighter villain, like it's Vega, or uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know it's 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 the Phantom of the Ocean, <laughs> medieval Leatherface. Phantom of the Ocean is the winner today. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> he's the Phantom of the Ocean. <laughs> Um, I, I keep, I'm going to say this again and maybe I'll say this every episode, but I, I do miss the, it's sort of a show devoid of warmth or levity. Oh, okay. And again, I was like, eh, you bring in, you can bring in someone like Corliss and have him, you know, give him a little bit more personality. How, how about, how about a, how about a joke or two? How, you know, how about, how about a character that isn't Machiavellian. I, I don't know. I keep thinking back to like, you know, when John meets Ygritte, how much we love that. Or, you know, Arya right. and the Hound on the road. Or, you know. So in the first two episodes of Game of Thrones, again, refresh my memory, we're, did, we got some levity, right? Or at least we got to see like the kids. We had at least four or five one-liners from Tyrion, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah. So we got we Tyrion had Bran climbing trees. We had you know John giving Arya needle for the first time. This is all kind of like I I know who to root for in a show like that. So I think there was supposed to be some degree of levity with um, the choosing of the of the guard. <laughs> I want to talk about that. <laughs> I want to talk about this. All right, this first guard. That they are interviewing, mm-hmm. dude. Like this is the first rule of interviewing. You you gotta you gotta say something. <laughs> like if you don't have to talk a lot. You don't want to. You don't want to over talk. But I feel like saying something would be advantageous. <laughs> Just like he went to like whatever his uh, whatever website he went to for how to nail your interview, right? He's like if you if you if you're concerned, if you're nervous, just just be just stand strong. Just stare him down. Just stare him down, and they'll give you the job. <laughs> I mean, he he dressed the part. I mean, he he really dressed up for this interview. Right, so. he got dressed up. He was on time, obviously. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when it came right because like, what they say a lot of times is this if you don't have like a really good example it's okay to say um can i come back to this question i just need to think on this for a little while like that's the way to do it but or you could uh, just the stand there stare at it, stare at him yeah without saying a word <laughs> yeah that's the second best option i feel like he went home to his wife and he was like she's did you get the job he's like no once again i lost out to somebody who was a little chattier than me <laughs> Honey, I've told you, you have. Did, did you get asked a question? Maybe. Did you get asked a question? Well, yeah, but did you answer it? Honey, you didn't answer again, didn't you? <laughs> oh, this guy. And I'm just thinking, like, maybe he wanted to answer, but I'm sort of like, look, we, we spent all the money on the dragons. You got no lines. <laughs> Yeah, they're, again, one of the things are like, look, HBO's like things didn't go great with the end of Game of Thrones, so we're gonna give you we're gonna give you great effects budgets, we're gonna give you wonderful costuming budgets, but we're gonna give you way more extras. I want to go all over. Like, no, no, we're gonna focus in on one family, <laughs> and most of the nights are just background. Here's the rule: if you bring in a guy in bright yellow, he's a little bit jowly. No lines. No lines. That's right. You can't have yellow and jowls and lines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kristen gets the job, and he's allowed to talk. I, I think that that's a that's a great benefit. Yeah, huge benefit uh, for Easy almost any eyes. job. So, oh, the other part of it that I thought was interesting was so Otto wants to use this appointment for political ends. He's like, I can I can make a lord happy if I choose the lord's oldest son or something like Renera is thinking more practically. She's like, is, is, can, can he fight? I want to know if he can right. fight. And so she chooses a guy who can fight and Otto's sort of second guessing her. Right. But then when it comes time to go confront Damon at Dragonstone, who does he take with him? Right. Right. He takes with him the guy that he knows would defeated Damon on, yeah. on the, in the tourney. So it's sort of this validation for Renera's choice in the end. Is it? I mean, that's a good question, though. I, th- I mean, I think on the surface, that's what I would take it as. Like, hey, well, like, is it a, well, this is who I've got because he was assigned? Or is it also like, I know this will also goad 
Damon. Oh, maybe interesting. Even to make, even to make a right. to make a foolish move, because because if you know that Damon is, as we talked about in in the the previous podcast, if if he's vulnerable, if he's insecure, uh, it makes him a little more volatile, right? Which means that any plan he may have had might be thwarted. And I think we see that. I think we sure. see what happens is that he comes in with a plan, and it got thwarted pretty easy, right? Um, and because he didn't uh, even consult with with his his woman. <laughs> <laughs> to right. even tell her what the plan was, so she's, she sort of she's looking at him like, "Oh, I'm pregnant now." Is that is that the story <laughs> you've been telling? Been telling people I'm pregnant, huh? So this is the whole thing. This was your whole egg plan. <laughs> so I think it, I mean there was so much revealed uh, in in that, and so when you think about Hightower's uh, political motivations, but he you know he makes sure that the king stays behind. Uh-huh. He, but he again. He says he does that because he wants to go. You know, because the king is too valuable. And it's like, so I start you. This is this is when I when you asked last week, do you feel like you're watching Game of Thrones? This week I I, I did right uh, because of that. Because any time that like so now that Hightower is there to protect the king, I still am like, is he or is he trying to get to Damon? And is he trying? What is he trying to do there? Right? Like, is he just trying to stop Damon? Like, what's his plan? He knows mm-hmm. he's got a dragon. Well, that, I was that... going to ask you that question. I was going to ask you, like, does Hightower want an excuse to kill Damon? And if so, what does he think he's going to do about the dragon? Yeah, so that, that part, that part, I wasn't quite sure because you know that that's a reality. But I don't, I don't think it didn't seem to me that that he was really in there to to battle them necessarily but i don't know what the next thing would have been well you brought up the point like you why bring Kristen cole right if you don't think that you're going to use that guy to provoke damon and i feel like this is a guy you you, maybe you're counting on him acting rashly right yeah damon does something and now he's killed one of your guards i mean like if you want to talk about because the term sedition came up, right? Mm-hmm. And and if, you know, clearly they got him for stealing uh, this dragon egg. And then if he kills one of the guards, um, you know, that's that seems like like you got a lot. I mean, if, if you want to take this to more of a political end, it's hard to argue, right? I mean, now it's... Regardless of who he is and who's, what his last name is... That that there may be a bridge too far, right? So it seems Dragon like there's a little been. bit like Mar-a-Lago right now. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, that was that was them with their warrant. <laughs> and they got a redacted egg back. Like I'm the rightful heir, man. I'm the rightful heir. It's just my egg. This is my egg, it was my egg from the beginning. I told him he could keep the train set <laughs> and I could have any egg. I, I just go ask him. Just ask him. I said, <laughs> "That's why you didn't want him to come because you knew who'd have been like." Oh, that's right, the train set. <laughs> so uh, this is my favorite uh, scene of the episode because when Renera shows up, when she shows up, because I I think it could have gone wrong in any number of ways, but you kind she kind of what card is she really playing? I don't think she's playing the dragon card. I think she's walking Mm-mm. up to him and sort of daring him to do what he is threatening to do. And that is to, you know, become the new heir. You think you're the real heir. All right. 
Here I am. What are you going to do about it? I'm right here, Uncle. The object of your ire. The reason that you were disinherited. If you wish to be restored as heir, you'll need to kill me. So do it. And be done with all this bother. And I think that the first episode really establishes that they have a relationship where they, right. they respect each other. And so when she stares him down like that, you kind of get the sense that he feels like, well, I think I think she's got checkmate here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I think I well, got to get back the, to Zeg. <laughs> that's the ultimate, because that's the whole thing. Like, think about it. She's like, okay, if if this is your plan. And that's one thing if this plan had been, you know, six months ago. Or seven months ago. Mm-hmm. But now I am. I have been declared the heir. Right. So now you want my position. And the only way you are getting it is if I'm out of the picture. Right. And since you're willing to go this far, are you willing to take the next step? And the thing that was fascinating is that it happens out in public. And she switches from Targaryen to the common it, tongue, right? Yes, uh, that that was going to be my next point. So, so she so she establishes the is. yeah she establishes the conversation. We are equals. We both speak High Valyrian. But then when she says, "Here I am. I'm the object of your ire. Just strike me down," she says it for everyone to hear. Right? It's yeah. the common tongue. So and so he gets backed into a corner, and he just goes to the egg toss. And I just that scene is is pretty wonderful. It's great um, because it does set up it, it sets up a lot, and it does set up the the ultimate. If we're only two episodes in, and and that that level of what we've seen, what we saw the relationship wise mm-hmm. in, in the first episode coming to this point, where it was like, all right, well, if we're gonna do this, this is where it has to go, and we can do it right now if you want. It'll never be easier, right? And, the, and it's interesting because you talk about, like, again, going back to his insecurity, maybe his vulnerability, his, his, he's not very strategic. I mean, he, had, he did not have an answer for that. He had nothing. Okay, let me ask you a hypothetical here. Let's say the king does go to Dragonstone. Let's say Viserys is sort of up in his feelings and he gets on a ship and he goes out to Dragonstone. You're Daemon Targaryen. Do you kill the king? Do you kill your brother? Do you think he would have killed his brother? I don't. Th- I don't think he would have had to, because I think I think there would have been an opportunity for him to sort of play Viserys as well, and I think that might have been part of the other reason why Otto Hightower goes out there is because the king, if the, the king can be swayed, mm-hmm. and sure he may be fired up, but we don't know, you know, we don't know how. You know, in this, from a brother to brother perspective, how clever Damon might be. Like, Damon doesn't have to be, like, his plan, I think, was essentially to have the king show up. I think that's what he was setting up. I for. think so, too. And I think he might have killed him. You think so, huh? Well, I, I'm thinking, like, let's say he wants his brother out of the way. I think, he, I think he does still love his brother, but I think he he might think this is the only way for there to be a strong king on the throne. Well, if he kills his brother, then it then it sets into motion. Now, uh, Renera is is in charge. Yeah, I think and if that happens, he just you think it's just a full coup. Yeah, I think so. I think so, and I think that's what maybe he thought was going to happen. But when 
she shows up, I don't think he knows what to do. Well, and I, I the only reason why I think that maybe he might not have, I don't know that he had a great plan, but I think his, I think he was setting up for appealing to his brother's sensitivity, especially with regard to the whole plan about marrying for love. Oh, interesting. I think I think he I I think that would have been maybe the the first move. Appeal to that notion, soften his brother up, get back in his good graces. Now you're not at least you're not now maybe exiled in Dragon's Zone. It's almost becomes like a, a negotiation that and and Otto Hightower knows that maybe the king may be susceptible to something like that. Hmm. And so then that sets a different cuz cuz you see later with his with Corlys, when Corlys is talking all kinds of trash against uh, Viserys, he, he, Damon stops him. Yeah. Like, I can do that. So there isn't, I mean, it's a classic, you know, hey, I can make fun of my family, but no one else can. So that, that to me, that was my indicator that maybe he wasn't quite ready for that yet. Like, like there was still some degree of like, look, I may hate my brother, but it's my brother. And yeah, there that was that say, sense. Yeah. It's like, you can, I can talk trash, but you can't. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. For, I mean, I think it could. I mean, I, certainly an argument argument could be made either way. But that was my reading was. I don't know that. I, I don't think that that was the plan, because of the way that it was sure. um, set up it, with with such an emphasis on marriage and and birthright things like that. So that even though it was an insult to take uh, Balin's mm-hmm. egg, right? Okay, we've already covered some of storyline four here. The court is up in arms at the news of a stolen dragon egg. Viserys learns that it was his brother. Rhaenyra asks which egg was taken. When the king finds out that Damon took his son's egg, he wants to confront Damon himself. Otto, however, talks him out of it. Otto takes 20 men to Dragonstone, where Damon dares the hand of the king to take the egg from his hand. He allows his dragon to menace the king's men and seems intent on war. Rhaenyra swoops in and stares him down. Then Damon is confronted by Masaria, who doesn't want children and doesn't want to live in fear. Later on, he seems to consider the Sea Snake's proposal to form an alliance. Masaria is clearly more than a paramour, right? Right. I mean, whatever their relationship is, she has some degree of power in this relationship. Yeah, he ha- she has his ear, and it means something. And it was interesting because I think that the first episode you didn't get the like she had power over him in that he allowed himself to be consoled by her, right? Right. But you you heard a different kind of voice from her this episode. Um. So I, I I'm finding this relationship kind of interesting because it's pretty clear that Damon has vulnerabilities, and one of them is that I think he's in love with her. I think he's in love with his paramour. Right. And he, and yet he kind of lost this round, and now she's pissed off at him. Yeah, which will only, which could only add to maybe some of that instability, right? Um, sure. If, if, if the the his avenue for solace and you know comfort becomes jeopardized, maybe even by his own decisions, it's like well, he, he's running out of places to turn because he he gets further isolated, right? Right. Right. And I think that she, she, so she's interesting in that we kind of established last episode that how dangerous the birthing bed is. Mm-hmm. And she is intent to never have children. 
She's decided that I'm not going to live in fear. And it, it seems like this is a conversation they've had before. Like, I'm, I'm not going to live that life. Right. This is storyline three. This is called Renera Against the World. Renera continues to be belittled. Her suggestion to bring a show of force with dragons at the steps is met with dismissal. She's second-guessed by Otto and her choice for Kristen Cole. She isn't getting the whole story from Alicent. She's talked down to by Renice, who seems to reinforce the order of things in Westeros. Then without consulting anyone, she flies Dreamfire to Dragonstone for a showdown with Damon. She's confronted by her father, but wins him over pretty quickly. She learns of her father's new marriage to her best friend, along with everyone else, and leaves the room. So I think that this is kind of maybe the most important part of the episode. Because it establishes that this girl who has been her best friend for years, I'm, I'm imagining, has kept this massive secret from her. And now her father is going to marry her best friend. Yeah, her best friend becomes her stepmother. Yeah. I, I, I just think that scene, they kept on sort of, the, they hung on her face long enough to really get the sense that, like, she's feeling betrayed by this. Right. From, from every angle. And yes, and I do get the sense that she knows, like, I don't think that my father's in the wrong. I, I gave him permission to remarry. And yet this is the worst possible thing that could have happened. And it, so another thing I think that's interesting is, like, I love the uh, the, the back and forth between her and Rhaenys, right? I mean, that um, sets a lot up for, I love the, the what the, the uh, men would rather torch. Put a torch, the realm to a torch or something like that. Here is the hard truth, which no one else has the heart to tell you. Men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And and she, you know, and she keeps bucking against it, like, no, they didn't reject a woman; they rejected you. Like she's that. I, I'll, I'm mm-hmm. I'm a difference maker. It's different for me. It'll be different for me. And I mean, part of that is her ambition. Part of that is being probably 15. So. All of that kind of comes crashing down, even though her father sort of took her advice, even though she had presented herself throughout this episode as making making her own decisions for who's going to be, uh, you know, a knight's guard, and 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 her reasoning was sound, and she made the call, and then she kind of saves the day with the uh, with showing up at, at Dragonstone, mm-hmm. and and then she, you know. Gives her and her father, and her father has to kind of acknowledge it. Like you're, you're yeah. probably right. It probably would have come to bloodshed if it was just Otto. And then on top of that, you know, so he, then she gives him advice that he takes. Yeah, but she didn't have all the information, right? And so, so when it's all said and done, when she sees that, it's like, well, this you know, I've been, I've been lied to. I've been um, kind of kept out of the loop here. And some of those things that Rainey said echo. They have to, right? I mean. It's not just about the men in charge, but it's what women will do in power as well or, or to preserve. All, like, that was all part of that discussion, right? And so she's just got... Well, Renice is kind of the ultimate cynic at this point, right? Because I, I, I really do think that she was close enough to taste it. Mm-hmm. And now what's her nickname? The, king, the queen who never was? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
she's lived a life and she she's lived in the patriarchy long enough so that I think that she kind of feels like I've got to I really have to tell this girl the truth. She she has to learn the way the world works at some point. And there's a and there's a joy she gets in it too, right? Yeah, like, there's well, that other you, side of it. It's like you got the role that I want, and here's yeah. the thing: it's like no, hey, I'm going to be a good auntie and tell you that you're screwed. <laughs> tell you all the reasons why you're wrong, because ultimately, what it comes down to is I'm jealous of your position. Um, but hey, I'm also giving you some say. Like two things could be equally true here, right? I'm giving you real talk. And I'm doing it in a way that makes me feel good. And I was getting a little bit of Danny vibes when she's like, well, when I'm queen, I will remake the order. Right. Right. I'll right. change things when I'm queen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The idea of changing the order. Right. Uh, that's that's great. So that was I thought that was great. Um, the fifth storyline we've already covered. This was the, was the Kingsguard storyline. And so that leads us to dismemberment count, Steve. Mm no dismemberments pretty mild in fact we even saved a finger in fact we're doing our best we're doing our best to save the king's fingers and then uh cheek speak over under i think i got this one i i took yeah, the under you got that one yeah yeah i don't even know if we saw dragon butthole to be honest i think yeah it was actually... i mean even the the crab feeder his, his cheeks were actually covered right, right? so <laughs> okay so we 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 focused on the on the guy himself, but I mean, just just crabs are just gonna eat people. I think that they do. Just a swarm of I think crabs. that you you think so? Do you think they? I do think that, that it, like alive. Well, not alive. I don't know if they will alive, but I feel like um, like I've seen carcasses on the beach and and crabs kind of going for it. I don't know, man. It was it was a little goofy. <laughs> All the little clicking of the crabs, and it was, <laughs> I mean, it, I, when I say it, I mean, I, I, it was effective, especially because it was pretty gory to watch watch some of the crabs going in and doing their thing. But uh, but I was just like, huh, <laughs> crabs. I mean, I know cra- I, I always figured crabs would be a problem in this universe, but all right. So then here's a question: like, I I look at those crabs and I'm thinking, like, I would eat a crab. I would definitely. I but the question is, would I eat a crab that has been feeding on a human corpse? Mm. And then they brought up the other questions, like, have I ever already eaten? A crab? I think I'm just gonna say yes. That may I'm I'm not gonna quibble yeah. on these things. I just love crab. Right. I love crab. Yeah. So I don't care if it's eaten a human corpse or not. No, I think I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do like like me some crab. Um, so you know when we talk about. Um, when we did the rewatch and you know i was you know you know again i was magic hesitant yeah um and then you know we got a smoke baby and i'm kind of like you get a smoke baby i feel like you can do whatever you want (laughs) and uh so i think the crab while these weren't necessarily magic crabs if you don't remember we're talking about when melisandre births the shadow demon from her womb uh, so yeah, so you were not. Yeah, but it was a shadow demon later. But it was it was born it was a smoke baby. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, all right. So you continue. You were thinking. So I, you know, even though I've accepted dragons, I had to remember like there's gonna you know we're in a fantasy world, and if I could if I could tolerate a smoke baby, I think I have to tolerate a 
<laughs> a villain that has an army of crabs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking this episode, I was thinking, I, I miss the magic. Like, you remove the dragons... This is basically a political thriller, which is fine. You know, sure. that's always sort of been an element of Game of Thrones. And yet, I do feel like, as a fan of fantasy lit, I'm kind of waiting for the magic. Again, I, I think you got to just just be on board with the fact that, that I don't know that he summons crabs. But I like to think that there may be a point where like he gets all the crabs to come together to form like one giant crab, like the Constructicons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, just and, and that giant crab can will take on a dragon, like, and it's going to feel a lot like a. Oh, that would be great because you could you could punch through like like a dragon could like use its tail to like like whip through the crab, but because it's just made up of tiny little crabs, then they form all these little like maybe medium sized crabs, and they're just <laughs> a Voltron of crabs. That's what we want. Um, we want a Voltron yeah. of crabs. Well, I know they just renewed uh, season two, so hopefully they're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't if I didn't ask the question. How do you how do you feel about a title sequence? Yeah, a little underwhelming. Um, huh. Glad to have the old Game of Thrones music back. Okay, so that's another question. I mean, you're cool with just the same old music? I think so. I feel like. I mean, honestly, most people are going to skip ahead anyway, right? They shouldn't, because there's changes, right? I mean, I'm sure it's going to change like the uh, the other one did. How, how? Why would it change? It's just it's just blood and blood flowing, like they don't. But it's flowing through different areas, right? I mean, it's oh. and different symbols are coming up. Yeah. So you're supposed to you're supposed to be the 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 one to walk me through that because of your extensive knowledge. Yeah, I didn't quite get it. I'll be honest. I didn't quite get the whole blood through the channels thing. Um it did remind me in the first novel Arya has a dream of King's Landing where the the walls are full of blood and it kind of starts bubbling out of the walls. And I kind of mm. thought, "Oh, this is kind of cool. It kind of reminds me of that dream Arya had." But then I I kind of got the sense that this is all about sort of the Targaryen lineage. That's what I kind of figured, right? And I thought it was going And if that's channels. the case, I don't think that that changes at all. I think the lineage stays the same. I don't I don't think we're going to see the title sequence change. You sure? Because because there's going to be some high tower uh a tributary at uh, some point. Maybe. I think this entire first season will stay the same. I mean, I I could be wrong, but I think it's going to be that's my guess. It's going to be the same the whole season. Yeah, this will be this will be a point of contention between Heather and I because she is a she's traditionally a skip intro right. person, and I am famously I will listen to the entire Three's Company uh, theme song regardless of how many times I've I've seen the episodes. Well, and I feel like with the old title sequence, I would watch because I was kind of curious to see, especially when it was starting to latter seasons started to change um right. if it's just going to be this i'll skip it every time hmm. i don't yeah I, I think you should i'm gonna say stay tuned all right i'll watch it just just because maybe of this maybe not this season I'll, I'll keep my eyes on it maybe not this season but i mean you don't want to be the one to be like oh what it switched when did it switch okay let's get you on the record is- episode three oh. cheek speak over under uh, oh we're due we are okay due. so just I'm to remind people five. the rules 
the amount of people with actual dialogue in the show that reveal a cheek or two. And then, of course, Steve is going to choose an over-under here. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm setting. I'm gonna go even higher. I'm setting up five. I think we're due for something. So you're saying two full moons and a side cheek. Yep. Yep. All right, that would give you five. So five were over. Right. And you got it. All right. I. I think. I think you're right. I think we're probably due. So, I think I'm gonna take the over with you. Okay. And we'll see if we'll see how we do. So far, so far, I've got. I'm. I'm one up. Yep. Um, yeah. You are you are the cheek master, <laughs> the maester of cheeks, <laughs> little crack, right. if you will, <laughs> little crack. <laughs> so, uh, what do you? How do you rate this episode? Oh, we didn't do that. I'm so glad you reminded me. Um, shoot, I'm gonna say Danny plus one. Okay. What do you think? I'm going Danny plus three. Oh, you're in Dinklage range. I know, I know. You liked, I, uh, it. You liked this one a lot. Oh, ooh, I liked it a lot. Um, and I think maybe it is the, um, like I said, oh, I feel like I feel like I'm watching Game of Thrones again. So sure. it might have been more of that. Um, the uh, the Renice uh, back and forth I thought was was excellent, and I was like, I yeah, was already was like, oh, this good. is gonna be. I was I was like, this is gonna be like to me like the the best back and forth of the episode, and then. The Damon, right? Uh, egg toss. That whole yeah. <laughs> I was, I was like, wow, that's really, really good. And um, and you know, and, and even though I felt like they didn't need to do that slow pan at the end with uh, Corliss, like I'm like, well, who? Like, there's not enough characters for me to go like, oh, I wonder who he's talking to. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> who could right. it be? <laughs> um, but I, I did, I. That was, I think, that was a really good way to. Well, to, and to I will reiterate there. that walk through the garden with the king oh, and yeah. Lena. I just thought that that got me feeling all kinds of gross. And yep. all right, I think you talked me up. I think I'm going to go Danny plus two. You talked me up a, a cool, rank cool. here. No, I think it was a really good episode, yeah. and I, um, I know that there are uh, reviews of from people that are like already like six like episodes in right like a lot of these the bigger yeah a few of our podcast buddies got screeners right and there's different uh like one of the things i keep hearing is uh, just you know i kind of miss the amount of characters like it just feels like it's too (laughs) incestuous um in terms of the um the and i'm I mean, to be honest, I don't, I, I'm kind of okay with that. I think so that I, I'm, I'm curious. You know, I think I agree with the critics on this one. I feel like I need I need to be introduced to some family that's away from King's Landing, or some commoner that lives in the city, or someone that can bring a little bit of levity. Mm. When we did our rewatch of Game of Thrones, it, we talked about this like being like in the desert, and you need that. Just that touch of cool water. Just that drop of cool right. water. And I feel like we've gotten zero, yeah. zero. First two I think episodes. I'll need it. I think I'll need it. But I think I, I think setting this new story up is I, I'm, I'm willing to be patient. Um, I will need some of that later. But um, I this is going like this is so intricate so far in terms of, mm-hmm. of the, the how the political 
intrigue goes. And because it is so close, it feels even more sinister. But yeah, I definitely could see the need for a little more levity. And I know that we're going to do a time jump at some points, which also takes some of the, the childlike qualities out of um, Alicent. And I think so. Stuff. And I, I will be honest. I've really enjoyed young Alicent and, and not young Alicent. I've really enjoyed young Rhaenyra. Yeah, I agree. And so when they do level her up to the next actress, I, I think I'm going to miss this actress. I think she's killing it. I, I agree. I, I had that same thought. And not just because her friend broke a glass next to us at the premiere. <laughs> We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. (laughs) 
Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as THE Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. Well, some people aren't the joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them, or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcast on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. All right, this is a question from Jenny. In both Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, we meet important men who openly who are openly promiscuous, or at least they bring their paramours with them to important places. Presumably, these men are not concerned with public knowledge about their activities beyond the institution of marriage. In medieval Europe, would this have been taboo or had an adverse political consequence? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously the church frowns upon such things, particularly if the man in question was married. But yes, noblemen and kings did often have mistresses and as a result had quite a lot of potentially uh, of illegitimate children. Um, I mean, you get examples of, of men who had mistresses before they were married. They like to keep their options open in case a particularly choice um, uh, bride-to-be came along um, who, who might... Uh, 
gain them lands and things. So, so mm. they would often have a woman who they had children with and who they might end up marrying further down the line. Uh, and those those children would have to be retroactively um, uh, uh, legitimized. Legitimized. Sorry, if that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, but because because yes, they've been born out of wedlock. Um, so th- that kind of thinking does does come into it. I think also that that these men often did also look after their illegitimate offspring. I mean that that I think comes through in Game of Thrones quite a lot. That even if they're not treated the same, they obviously they're not. A part of the succession and that would be the same in medieval europe on the whole hmm. um they are at least catered for they're looked after they're, they're given lands and titles and, and money uh, and they are also useful in terms of marriage alliances um you know if you marry the illegitimate daughter of the king for example that's still a that's still a leg up the fact that she's an illegitimate daughter doesn't really matter you're still related by blood to the crown um and that that means, and you might be something. doing the king a favor, you know. Oh, the, the, yes, absolutely. Um, although, I, I, again, I think you know the, the the illegitimate children could be married off to other kings, prominent nobles. That they, they were still a catch. That there wasn't there mm. wasn't disfavor um, uh, attached to that. And I think that's maybe something that the Game of Thrones it spins the bastardy angle as, as a as a as a negative and as a defining feature. Um, and right. obviously, if you're a, if you're a, if you're from the lower classes and, and you're illegitimate, then then yes, that might have been the case but 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 noble bastards and and and, and royal ones actually had still had some currency yeah uh, i think so that's valuable. a good good question i think that in martin's universe it might be more influenced by shakespeare's bastards than than historical bastards um you know in shakespeare it's it's very much you know the bastard represents especially if it's sort of a male bastard who might create complications for the true born eldest son or something like that mm, mm. that 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 kind of guy is suspicious like you have to be <laughs> a little bit suspicious of that sort of fellow because he might edge his way into political power and make problems with the family yeah although i'm i, I kind of struggled to, to think of too many examples where that was the case i think <clears throat> quite a lot of the examples you have are of of illegitimate sons, for example, who who are quite loyal to their fathers and 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 who are useful military commanders. I suppose the the problem then is is when their fathers die and and then their their legitimate offspring uh, succeed. If that causes problems between between half brothers, mm-hmm. um, but um, so what about? I'm I'm just thinking specifically in in terms of like Damon Targaryen, who has a wife who he just doesn't like. And he like just he decides that he's going to take a paramour and like just parade her around, like just take her wherever he goes because he gets along with her. I'm just wondering, would that is that is that more fantasy than reality? It seems like that. It seems a little bit. Um, I know it seems a, a little bit unrealistic that that would be an option for someone who is is of high political standing as someone like that i mean it may be it may be taking it slightly further but 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 not necessarily as much as you might think i, I think you know there were there were several and many uh, open secrets about about royal or noble mistresses um, and the fact that open secrets means that they are largely accepted i think where where mistresses become problematic 
it, well, it's twofold. One, one is if they start to increase their own power or their family's power as a result of being the mistress of the mm. king or the lord, mm. then that becomes a problem for other nobles. And you get the case of that in, in England. Um, Alice Perez is, is the famous mistress of Edward III in his latter years. And she falls foul of the English establishment because she, she makes out quite as much as she does uh, and, and and is seen as being dangerous. The same is true in Scotland. David II, uh, his mistress, Catherine Mortimer, is actually assassinated by, by the Scottish nobility because because they feel that she is becoming too too powerful or her family potential is becoming too powerful. It, it's intruding on their interests uh, and that's when it becomes a danger. Uh, I think if... if if you're there and and you just happen, but you're not out for yourself necessarily, if you're not expanding the interests of your family, then you're less of a threat. Hmm. And now, a knee-jerk reaction for my daughter, Nessa. Did you watch the episode? Yes. As a representative of all 18-year-olds everywhere, <laughs> what did you think? Those crabs were fucking weird. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for chiming in. (laughs) And we'll hear more from Nessa next week. Thank <laughs> you.